Um, while that's going up, we are beginning a new series today officially um, on the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. And I wanted to just take a couple of minutes and share something with you. And then actually what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give it to Rick, and Rick's going to lead us through the first um, week of this study. I actually want to begin with this. I'm going to take about five minutes, okay? All right. And do we have audio, Josh? Would you please? Thanks, man. I'd greatly appreciate it. I want you to watch this. If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but... What is God's Spirit? Yeah, so the Spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. <sighs> So you feel that inside you? Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply, that too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes, and the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's Spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. The story is saying that God's Spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's Spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's Spirit. And so today, the Spirit is still hovering in dark places. 
Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the Spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity, living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving Spirit. The beauty of this video is that in that three minutes, that was such a robust uh, theology of the Spirit of God. And I know a lot was said quickly, but I thought it was such a great place to begin, um, taking us from Genesis all the way to the very end of the Holy Spirit. But I just want to touch on um, a couple of things as we begin. He First is, I love the language that he uses of the new creation. It's the Spirit of God that brings about the new creation life. And I want you guys to see the connection between what was said and what we've been saying. From the Gospel of Matthew, as we ended in Matthew 28, and last week when I spoke on being vessels of presence for the Lord and repatterning our lives for being filled with the Spirit of God on the regular, that we would be, as he said, it's the transformative work and the empowering of the Holy Spirit that is new creation life. New creation life is the transformative work of the Spirit and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit within us. And so as we embark on the next couple of months leading up to Resurrection Sunday, we're going to study what this new creation life is by the empowerment and the transformation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And last week, one of the things that I shared was um, just this very helpful definition, and I want to give it to you again. And it says this, that the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church, to manifest the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. So over the next four months, we're going to break it down into four different categories. And each one might be, you might have one week or there might be broken into multiple, but it's basically this. We're going to look at how the Holy Spirit empowers, how the Holy Spirit purifies, how the Holy Spirit reveals and how the Holy Spirit unifies. Those are four aspects, overarching aspects of the role and the work of the Holy Spirit that we're going to now break down and we're going to study in depth. Uh, in depth. And I just want to say to you today, if you have come to this moment today, because we all have some understanding, we have, we've all formed a theology of the Holy Spirit, whether intentionally or it's been assumed or imparted into us from a young age. We all have one. And what I want to ask all of us here today is to hold our hands openly to what that is. Because I believe, as I said last week, that this is an, a vital key to this aspect of mission that we've been talking about. Understanding the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the transformation that happens in the new creation as those who come into the new creation. So... I find I've got a lot of faith right now for, for this particular subject. Um, I myself am looking forward to it, and I would just ask for you guys to be in faith, um, be prayerful about it before you come on Sundays, be open um, as you sit and you receive instruction from the Word of God, um, receive what the Holy Spirit would begin to work within you, and let's expect in faith that He's going to do something significant within us. Can we do that together? And then let me just say one last thing. Why don't you come on up while I'm saying this, Dad? Um, I would ask as much as you can, be present here on Sundays. You can stream, you can catch up, but there's nothing like being 
here in the moment, as the Spirit moves and works among us, there's things that we as elders are, are expectant for that we're going to be asking for, things that we're going to, going to be praying for, and, um, and I would just ask that you, as much as you can, be faithful to be present. Okay? Great. Good morning. If you open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians 15, I want to begin here. I'm going to do a little bit of moving around this morning. But before we get into our main points, I want to start with this text. And I'm going to return to it a little bit later on. But this to me is significant as we begin looking at the Holy Spirit's work and activity among us, especially as it relates to it being the Spirit of God who empowers, who empowers. First Corinthians 15, a very beautiful, powerful text. This, thus it is written, verse 45, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So in our study of the Spirit of God, our desire is to bring an understanding, and more importantly, as Matt said, a greater faith to the priority, the place, and the power of the work of God's Spirit in the life of a believer. And today we're going to look at the truth that the Holy Spirit empowers for life. And just that statement in itself can go right through our brains and out, but let's let it settle in for a moment. The Spirit of God empowers for life. And this is an amazing statement in so many ways when we really look into it. But there are three aspects today predominantly regarding the empowering for life that I want to look at in depth. And the first is this. The Holy Spirit is the empowering life of all creation. The Holy Spirit is the empowering life of all creation. Now, I have the word underlined all in my notes. And as the video said, as we looked at it a moment ago, this truth begins in Genesis chapter 1 in verse 2. In the very beginning, it says, in the beginning, verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And in the verses following in Genesis 1, it says that God begins to separate, to bring distinction, and to bring order. Let me say that again. God begins to separate to bring distinction, and to bring order to his creation. And the implication is clear that it is the Holy Spirit who brought order and distinction and who separates the light and the darkness in God's creation originally. Psalm 104, I'll read this to you. Verse 30, when you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Psalm 104, verse 30, when you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew 
the face of the ground. So in the realm of nature, it is the role of the Holy Spirit to give life to all animate creatures. To all animate creatures, whether they are on the ground or in the air or on the sea, in the sea, it is the Spirit of God that gives life to all animate creatures. Job 34, verses 14 and 15 says this, If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. It is the breath of God that gives man and gives all creatures life. So we see regarding nature and all animate creation, it is the Spirit of God who not only gives life, but listen, sustains life. Now, I, I felt like God spoke to me this week that as we're looking at this Holy Spirit, the subject of the Holy Spirit, it's so easy to take these different aspects, and to separate them out and put them into little categories. But what we're going to see is that everything interrelates. Next week, we're going to talk about the power of the Spirit through the giftings of the Spirit, the charismata. Don't separate that from what I'm teaching this morning. We're talking about life. We're talking about the Spirit of God giving life and sustaining life, the very breath of God giving life to his creation. It, when a man dies, it is said that he breathes his last, what? Breath. Or it says, it, you've heard it said that his breath leaves him. If you've ever seen someone who has just died, and I've seen, unfortunately, too many, their physical body is there, and they look somewhat like you've known them, but they're different. And it's before anything has changed physiologically. It's simply because the breath has left them. The breath of life has left the body. It is that life that is given by God's Spirit to all his creatures, but especially significantly to man, who is the apex of his creation Genesis 2.7 says he breathed into his nostrils, speaking of man, the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So the first point is that it is the Spirit of God who empowers all creation for life. He is the empowering life of all creation. The second point is this. That the Holy Spirit is the empowering life of regeneration or the new life. Not only is he the empowering life of all creation, animate creation, but he is also the empowering life of new creation life, obviously, and of spiritual life, of regeneration life. John 3, 5 through 8, Jesus says this, Truly I say to you that unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone 
who is born of the Spirit. And Lord Jesus is saying, like the video said, it's the wind. It's like the wind. It's this energy. It's this life movement. And when a man or a woman is, is born again, there's regeneration, it's by the Spirit of God, and you can't see it with your physical eyes. You may not even know when it's taking place. You may not even know when it's happened or where it's come from in one sense. But you'll see the new life that emerges from it. It's like the wind moving, Jesus says. But it is the Spirit of God. It is the very Holy Spirit himself who brings this new life. The question is, why is regeneration even needed? Are we not born with life? We just got through reading that he breathes into us the breath of life. Are we not born with life? Physical life, yes, but spiritual life, no. Adam was born with both. When Jesus, when God breathed into him, when the Spirit of God gave him life in Genesis 2, he was, he was then born with both life physically and life spiritually. But what happens in Genesis 3 is he sins and he dies spiritually. And so we as human beings, since Adam's sin, and this is just basic theology for those of you that are young to know this, either young in age or young in the faith, that we are born into this world spiritually dead. This death is the result of sin. And that sin it not only renders us spiritually dead at birth, but that it will also eventually bring physical death to the physical body. Physical body's death is the result of the spiritual death due to sin. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, small s, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Past tense, we were. But we were regenerate. If you are a born-again believer, if you've been born by the Spirit of God, you are now spiritually alive because of the very life of God that is at work in you. Because regeneration is invisible to the physical eye, it's difficult to grasp the fact that it is just as real and just as powerful and just as necessary as physical birth is to have life. So you can look like you're alive physically, and you are physically alive, but you are spiritually dead. And so the world is filled with the walking dead. Not zombies, human beings. Human beings who are physically alive and spiritually dead. John 1.13 tells us that this life comes to those who are born not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the flesh, but of God. This is the way the New Living Translation says it. And I don't use this to study, but I like sometimes the way it reads. It says this, they are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, 
but a birth that comes from God. It is a spiritual rebirth that comes from God, and it is the result of the life-giving Spirit of God. Just as he hovered over the darkness of the earth and separated and gave distinctness and brought order, so he does over the human heart at regeneration and brings life and, in a sense, brings order breathes the life of new creation into the human body. Amazing. But the fruit of this truth, listen now carefully, the fruit of this truth is the justification before God that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The fruit of regeneration is justification that comes by faith. The fruit of regeneration is the justification that comes by faith. So you don't believe so that you can be justified. You're regenerate. Faith is birthed, and then you believe. Justification is the fruit of faith that comes from regeneration. And then it becomes, that justification becomes the foundation for the Christian life. That becomes the basis then for all that will follow. Paul writes in Romans, therefore we have been justified by faith. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, Romans 5, 1 and 2, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Justification is the foundation of the Christian life and it's the result, the fruit of the regeneration, the new life that's come to the believer and the faith that results in that new life in God and then the believing and the justification before God. The Old Testament prophesied of this transforming life and power in many places. Texts like Ezekiel 36, 26. I'll read it to you. He says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. Listen to this. He says, I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart, and I will put my spirit, capital letter S, in you, so that you will follow my decrees and obey my laws. You see how obedience is the fruit. Obedience is the fruit. And that's what circumcision, all that circumcision was to depict was this very picture. Physical circumcision, that was the sign of the covenant that they entered into with God, was a picture of the circumcision of the heart that would come one day through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit where there would be this taking away, peeling away of the foreskin, of the, of the hardness of the, of the heart, and, and the replacing it with a heart that was soft and tender to God and responsive to God. This is the picture of the Spirit of God in regeneration. The Holy Spirit empowers the life of all creation. The Holy Spirit is the empowering life of regeneration, of new creation, And thirdly, the Holy Spirit 
is not only the empowering life, he is the sustaining life of the new birth. The sustaining life of the new birth. Romans 8, 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh. Let's see, where am I in this? Now, I want to go back to verse 2. I see where I've got it there. For the law of the spirit of life. This is, this is amazing. I'm going to talk about this for a few minutes here. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Jumping down to verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Now, this is going to go back to the 1 Corinthians 15 text for a moment. We're going to talk about that again for a moment. But just as the Holy Spirit sustains all animate life in God's creation, he sustains the spiritual life of the new birth. Just as he sustains animate life, so he sustains spiritual life of the new birth. This sustaining grace, you could also call as an aspect of what it means to be sanctified. The sustaining grace of God, the sustaining life of the Spirit is what sanctification is. We don't sanctify ourselves, do we? Now we contribute to it through obedience. But it is the life of God that transforms the man or woman who believes. And the power and the point of the 1 Corinthians 15 text that we read at the beginning is this amazing truth. Listen, now listen carefully. The life-giving spirit that is now at work in us is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Paul says that at the resurrection, Christ became a life-giving spirit. Now, I know that you already know this, that Christ indwells you, but I want us to think about it now in maybe a different way than we ever have. That it is Christ himself who is the life-giving spirit indwelling you. It personalizes, in some way for me at least, the work of God in me. We always think, oh, if Jesus was here, if he was walking with me, I would be different. If I could see him, I would live differently. He's in you. He is in you. He dwells in you. Literally, by his spirit. That's, this helps us understand texts like this, 2 Corinthians 3, 16. Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You see, Paul knew that it was the same. That He understood that there was this conjoining of, of work between the Spirit of God and the Lord Jesus Christ that took place at the resurrection. Not to lose the truth of the Trinity, three distinct persons, one God. But there was something that happened at the resurrection where Jesus Christ became a life-giving Spirit. 
And it is that spirit that indwells the believer. It is the Holy Spirit, but it is the very spirit of Christ indwelling you and indwelling me. So why does this matter? Because to understand that it is the Lord Jesus who is now indwelling and sustaining brings more, a more powerful reality, I think, to the work of God in our lives. So the power of the Spirit is that of a sustaining life, the power of Christ Jesus' life. And he is not merely a helper. He's not merely a guide, although he does that as well. He is the very life of God at work within us. Now, I want to just say this as I close because this is the key. This is the whole point that I believe is the most important point. The others are very important, but this is powerfully important. There is a new law of life that is now at work in us. Paul wrote in Romans 8.2, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Read that with me and say it with me. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Just as there are physical laws in the universe, so there are spiritual laws in the universe. Example of a spiritual law, you will reap what you sow. It's not karma. It's what the world thinks it is. It's a spiritual law that God has created that is just as real as gravity. Gravity being a physical law, Measurable science has discovered these physical laws in the universe, and God has created them all. So has God created, listen, now this is important, spiritual laws that are just as real, and maybe even more importantly, more powerful, because they have eternal implications. An example of a physical law would be aerodynamics. Aerodynamics is a very known physical law to us. It's the way that objects move through the air. You ever been driving along the freeway and this giant, I don't even know the size of the airplanes anymore, 747, is that the biggest one? What's the largest airplane now? Starts, yeah, it comes in for a landing. What is it, Bob? Airbus 380. I don't, Boeing doesn't make that one. I don't know who makes that one. It starts to come in for a landing over the freeway as you're coming in, and you see this thing, and it's like it looks like it's just barely moving even, but it's staying in the air. And you go, how in the heck does something that large, moving at that speed, not falling on the ground? It's called the law of aerodynamics. And there are four, four parts, I'm just really quickly, that, that work in, in aerodynamics. These four things are weight, lift, drag, and thrust. Weight, lift, drag, and thrust. Weight is simply the, 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 the force by which gravity pushes something to earth. It's the amount of gravity multiplied times the mass that equals the weight. So a giant Airbus, who knows how many tons it weighs, 
has to be able to stay off the ground, and so does a kite. Completely different weight, different mass, and therefore it's going to have a different need in terms of lift. It's the lift that allows the airplane to fly. It's the lift that allows the kite to fly. Fill a hot air balloon with hot air. Hot air is lighter than the surrounding air. What happens? The balloon rises. Airplanes have wings. The top of the wings are curved. The air hits the wing. The top of the wing, it goes over it more quickly because of its curvature. And because it's less pressure down on the wing, the plane can rise. It's aerodynamics. It's a law. Lift is that which pushes it up. Everything that flies has to have lift. And, of course, the airplane has to have lift, and a kite has to have lift. But there's not only that. There is also drag. That's the resistance. It's what it has to move against. Have you ever tried to run in water? It's hard to run in water because there's more resistance than there is running on the ground, just with air and oxygen and carbon dioxide and whatever else makes up our atmosphere. Water H2O is harder resistance. An airplane has to have thrust to move against the resistance. And it has to have enough thrust to overcome the resistance and the enough lift to overcome the weight. And when you have the right amount of thrust to overcome the resistance and the right amount of lift to overcome the weight, it it's flies. So with an airplane, the thrust is, if it's a small plane, it can be props. If it's a helicopter, it's rotary, a rotor. If it's a kite, it's you providing the thrust. It's the law of aerodynamics. And let me ask you this. Does the law of gravity cease to work simply because the law of aerodynamics is at work? No. The law of sin and death are like the weight and the drag. And the law of the spirit of life is like the lift and the thrust. The sin and death never cease to exist in the world in which we're living. But the law of the spirit of life just as the law of aerodynamics supersedes, in a sense, the law of gravity, so does the law of the spirit of life supersede the law of, of sin and death. Oh, I was going to read something out of my iPad. I don't have it here, though. Yeah, let me have it, babe. Can you hand it to me? I want to read this text out of the um, New Living Again. Romans 8, 3 through 11.
I apologize. This is worth waiting for, though. Romans 8, 3 through 11. Listen to how this says this very important truth. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied in us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Now listen to this. In light of the law of the Spirit of life, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It's like gravity. It's the weight and the drag. It's always hostile to flying to God. It will never obey God's laws. It never has and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. This life-giving Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them in them do not belong to God at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. And the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. And because you belong to him, Romans 8, 2, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Brothers and sisters, you are free by a law that is at work within you, that is a life-giving law. In fact, it is a law of life. It is the life of God himself. It's not a scientific law, a dead law that can be written down into a, in a book, but it is a law of the life of God at work. But it is a law that is just as real as the physical laws of the universe, spiritual law. And so our hope is through this time in studying the role of the Holy Spirit that many of you, many of us would come to freedom in your, our lives.
When we talk about next week, the charismata, the gifts of the Spirit, don't separate that from what I'm saying this morning. It's grace at work. And it's a grace to build a, a living temple of God. It's grace to build a people that are filled with this life-giving spirit together. It's the life-giving spirit that is at work in us, working through us to encourage and build one another. Don't separate everything into little categories. God's desire is to bring life. The spirit of God is the empowering life of God. Life for the animate, all creation, animate creation. Life the empowering life of the new creation and the sustaining life of the new creation. I pray for you that this week you would have in your heart and mind an understanding of this law of the spirit of life. I'll be really honest with you. These are the things that I meditate on. I just say, Lord, please teach me what this means. Not just so that I understand it so that I can teach it, but Lord, so I can live it. If, if your word is true, if you are who you say you are, that means that I don't have to be captive to anything. I can live as a free man in every way because I am a free man. You know, the text in Ezekiel 37, and I'm closing now, where the dry bones were in the valley, to me, totally measures with the text in Revelation 11 when God breathed into the two witnesses that were killed. It's the church. That's what it is. Ezekiel 37 and Revelation 11 speak of the church, the witnesses, the gathering of the people of God and God breathing life into what are dry bones and an army is raised up in Ezekiel 37. And in Revelation 11, the two witnesses who have been killed and who lie in the streets are a picture of the church through the ages. And God breathing into them life at the resurrection, raising them to everlasting life. Amen. God is good, isn't he not? Brothers and sisters, what an amazing calling we have. Stand with me, please. Father, we thank you this morning for the word of God, but especially for the truth of it. Oh, Holy Spirit, even as we've talked about this morning that you are the empowering life, Lord, we need you to bring the truth of these words to our hearts and our minds. Because we are not only physical beings, but we are spiritual beings, Lord. And now we are made alive by your spirit, and Lord, so the things that you teach us, you teach us by your spirit. You teach us spiritual truths, Lord. Spiritual truths, Lord, made real to us, as Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians. The Spirit of God interpreting spiritual truths, the mind of Christ being made known to the church. Yes, this is all mysterious, but Lord, it is so much the way of God. So much the way of God that, Lord, that we know that you can even bypass our inability to understand with our brains and bring to our hearts understanding that changes, Lord, our lives. And I pray this morning for my brothers and sisters. I pray for myself, O oh God, in the name of Jesus, set us free. Spirit of God, come upon us afresh. Breathe, Lord, even as you've already breathed this life into us, breathe upon us, Lord, daily. 
by your life-giving spirit, Lord Jesus. Freedom, deliverance, salvation, redemption, full redemption. Yes, God, empower us, O God, to live our lives as witnesses, as a testimony to Jesus Christ's resurrection life. We worship you this morning, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We honor you. We do believe in you, O God. Teach us your ways, Lord, that we might walk in them. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.